You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. We're back for a special abbreviated fundraising season. Every Tuesday in October, we'll have new episodes, which will, I'm sorry to say, also include a pitch for you to chip in on our Season 5 Kickstarter, which is live even as I speak. But not actually as I speak, because obviously this show is planning and production-heavy. And that, in part, is why I'm asking for your help in order to pay for upgrading the website, equipment, and licenses. Thus, Kickstarter. And here's the enticement. Before creating this show, I wrote three plays that are, in their own ways, prototypes of the constant. One is a monologue about the Dutch painter Vermeer and his most infamous art forger, who managed to scam the Nazis. One is a very weird one-act about British codebreaker and computer scientist Alan Turing, who you might know from the profoundly underwhelming imitation game. And the third is a sprawling monologue about the nature of cons and lies, which very suspiciously promises not to focus upon a massive, years-long catfishing scam I fell victim to. The whole collection is entitled Counterfeits, and for a $35 contribution to the Kickstarter, you can have a copy signed in my embarrassing chicken scratch. If you like this show, I can virtually guarantee you'll like this book. And maybe my signature will one day be worth something in the event that society takes an even worse turn than it's already heading for. If you want to give more, please feel free. And if you want to give less, feel free on that too. If you feel like you can only give a dollar, that's great. I will truly, deeply appreciate and love that dollar, I promise. And if you don't think that you can afford anything, or you just aren't sold on supporting me, or if you have some sort of moral or religious objection to donating to podcasts, that's all right, too. I understand. Well, no, I have some questions about the religious objections, but they're just curious ones. It's no judgment. What I'd ask is that you take a moment to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get this show and rate and review us. That'll make this the best Columbus Day ever. Oh yes, you heard me. Columbus Day. Today's episode, Discovered. Let's just say at the outset, Columbus didn't discover anything. Here's how I learned about Christopher Columbus. This was played for me in the late 80s. 
in school. In school, I say, where knowledge is meant to live. 500 years ago, there were people on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, but neither knew about the other. On the western side, our side, the people had reddish-brown skins and lived in huts or wigwams. On the eastern side, in Europe, the people were white-skinned. They had learned how to build houses and large sailing ships, but they still didn't know much about the rest of the world. In fact, most of them believed the earth was flat. Then one day, a mapmaker named Christopher Columbus had an idea. Do you know what? I think the world isn't flat at all. I think it's round like a ball. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? He said that the world is round. Oh, he's crazy man. I think the world isn't flat at all. I think it's round like a ball. The world's as flat as the brim of your hat. And that is very plain. I know that I'm right. Oh, I know that I'm right when I say that the world is round. Oh, I'm right. My thinking is sound, and I'll prove the world's round. It won't take very long. But it did take long, seven long years, before Columbus could convince a king or a queen to let him try out his idea. Then Queen Isabella of Spain agreed to supply the ships and men for his trip. I will discover a shortcut to India and bring back some of the great wealth I find there. And I can do it, for I know the world is round. And instead of going east to India, I shall sail west and reach India around the other way. It will be a shorter and cheaper way, for I'll do it all by sea. Queen Isabella provided Columbus with three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And on August 3rd, 1492, they set sail across the unknown Atlantic. High on the foaming tide. Oh, this is terrible. Let's fast forward. The ships sailed onward, but two long months after they started, there was still no sign of land ahead. We'll not turn back until we find India. Onward, men! By October 10th, the sailors and the crew were ready to take matters into their own hands. If Columbus won't do as we ask, we'll put him in chains. And we'll turn the ships around ourselves. Wait, have you heard? One of our men has just seen a branch in the ocean. What of it? It had fresh berries on it. That means we're near land. Hooray! Two days later, the ships reached land, and Columbus and his crew saw the people with reddish-brown skins who lived there. Oh, I think it is rather surprising that they should have reddish-brown skins. But now since we have landed in India, then these people must be Indians. Yikes. And then he and some of his men returned to Spain. Europe were no longer afraid of the ocean. Columbus made two more voyages, and other explorers followed. But each year on October 12th, we celebrate Columbus Day, 
The anniversary of that day in 1492, when Columbus first sighted the land of the new world, America. This video was created in 1960, but even up until my elementary school days, the basic narrative was broadly believed in. Then, in the 90s, things began to shift. A different interpretation began to speak up. Columbus didn't discover that the world was round. He didn't discover America, and perhaps most importantly, he was a violent, ignorant asshole. My early Columbus education got a bit retconned during my teenage years. There were still people out there on the side of the cartoon video, and there were a growing number in the genocidal jerk category. But for most Americans growing up in the Nirvana years, we were treated to a nebulous, protean fence-sitting. Teach the controversy was the order of the day. So, who was Columbus? Well, some say he was a great explorer, and others say a buffoonish murderer. What did he do? Some say he changed the world, and others say he pretty much didn't do shit. It's hard to say for sure. And nothing, nothing could have stuck in my teenage craw like, it's hard to say for sure. Why? Why would it be hard to say for sure? The two visions presented to me were entirely incompatible. There was no middle ground to stand on, and there had to be a true story. This wasn't a matter of opinion. It wasn't a matter of politics. It was a guy who lived and died, and in the course of that living, he must have done some concrete things and not done some others. Who was this dude? What did he do? And why have so many people been so wrong about him for so long? We can get to the bottom of this, folks. Let's start out simple. Most of them believe the Earth was flat. Absolutely not. No. No way. No, no, no. Sometimes people write me, asking me to do episodes about certain things, which I appreciate. Please give me your ideas. But the thing people most consistently ask for is a story about flat earthers. Alas, I can't tell the story of the flat earth myth, because the flat earth myth is itself a myth. A meta-myth. It's not that no one ever believed the earth was flat. Ancient peoples throughout most of the world did, including Bronze Age China, India, Egypt, Greece, and Northern Europeans, Norsemen, and Celts and such. But by the 5th century BC, the Greeks knew it must be round. It's not entirely certain how they managed to figure it out, but probably it had to do with differences in the arc of the sun and the positions of the stars from one place within the Greek Empire to another. The discovery is commonly attributed to Pythagoras, but we don't actually have any documentation from him to confirm that. Who we do have documentation from is our oldest frenemy, Aristotle. But he's on our side this time. Aristotle said the Earth had to be round because the Earth's shadow on the moon during a lunar eclipse showed it was. And that is some good empiricism. So Aristotle said the Earth was round, and if there's one thing we've learned over the course of this show time and time again, it's that if Aristotle said it, everybody in Europe believed it for the next 2,000 years or so. And in this case, and like maybe two others, that was a good thing. It didn't hurt that others had built upon Aristotle's observation. A hundred or so years after Aristotle, the Greek astronomer Eratosthenes not only further confirmed the Earth was round, 
He measured it. Eratosthenes knew that if you hung out in Syene, present-day Aswan in Egypt, on the summer solstice, the sun would be directly above you. But if you were in Alexandria, like he was, it still cast a shadow. Taking the angles of those shadows, he used trigonometry to determine that the world has a circumference of 250,000 stades. And you're asking, was, was that right? Who knows? <laughs> Probably pretty close. Nobody knows how long a stade was, but he likely managed to get within a couple thousand miles. So by the time Columbus came around, not only did everybody around him already know the Earth was a ball, they also knew how big the ball was. Which begs the question, if everyone knew what Columbus knew, what made him different? The answer isn't that Columbus was the only one to listen to Aristotle. I want to stress this at least one more time. Everyone listened to Aristotle. It's that he didn't listen to Eratosthenes. Most Europeans of the 15th century understood through Eratosthenes that the circumference of the globe was somewhere around 25,000 miles. That meant that a voyage west to China would take so long to make that anybody foolish enough to make the journey would run out of supplies and starve to death well before they made landfall. Columbus, on the other hand, said, screw that. Instead, he drew from the 9th century Persian astronomer Alfraganus's estimates, which, as it happens, were almost identical to Eratosthenes, except that Columbus didn't realize that he was working in Arabic miles, not Roman ones. So he took his research to mean that the Earth was about three quarters of its actual size. And since he basically knew the size of Europe, Africa, and Asia, most of that missing quarter should have been to the West. Suffice it to say... Columbus was very, very wrong. He estimated that the journey west from Europe to Asia would be 2,400 miles. In reality, the distance is more like 13,000. And again, that is almost exactly what everyone but Columbus thought. When he approached King John II of Portugal in 1485, the royal navigators thought he was an idiot who would surely starve to death at sea and urged John to reject his proposal. The same result came when he tried to feel out Genoa, Venice, and England for support. Finally, Columbus came to Spain to seek support from Ferdinand II and Isabella I. Columbus offered up his plan and, again, the Spanish experts said, uh, no, no, this moron doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's almost definitely going to die. So Isabella rejected the idea, and Columbus began his walk of shame out of Cordoba, unsure what to do next. But for reasons that are not entirely clear, Ferdinand stopped him and turned the decision around. It's possible the king was convinced of Columbus's proposal, but more likely he figured, hey, what the hell, it's three ships, why not? You basically know the next chapter of the story. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But his men didn't threaten mutiny, thinking they were nearing the edge of the world. In fact, it was one of his men who first sighted land. But Ferdinand and Isabella had offered a lifetime pension to whoever first spied it. So Columbus later screwed over his crewmen and pretended that he had actually spotted the island a few hours before and had just neglected to tell anyone. 
Columbus was a dick and an idiot. Upon landing in the Bahamas and discovering the indigenous people there, he made several conclusions that illustrate these qualities. First of all, he famously called them Indians, believing that he had reached the Asian continent. This is a belief he never gave up. Never. Columbus eventually made four journeys west, landing in four separate places. And no matter what, no matter how different the people he met were from what Europe knew about India, he insisted that yes, this was India, and they were Indians. That was his first thought upon meeting the Taino people. His second thought was, I could rule these people like dogs. Columbus was impressed by the kindness and simplicity of their weapons. One of his first written observations was that he could convert them to Christianity and conquer the whole of the island with 50 men. During his initial visit, Columbus made several landings and met several different cultures, each of which he took slaves from. And on each of his subsequent journeys, his men brought some degree or another of rape and violence against those they encountered. On his second journey, he brought the first European colonists to the island of Hispaniola, now Haiti in the Dominican Republic. And when he returned on his third voyage, he found those colonists in open revolt against him, claiming they'd lured him to dangerous, difficult jungle under false pretenses. Because that is exactly what he'd done. Some of those settlers made their way back to Spain and sued Columbus for gross mismanagement, claiming not only that they'd been misled, but that Columbus had improperly hung several disobedient crew members and that he was refusing to baptize the peoples they encountered because of his insatiable thirst for more slaves. Columbus was arrested back in the New World, stripped of his powers as governor, and brought in chains back to Spain on charges of tyranny and incompetence. He was found guilty, imprisoned, and, although he was eventually freed by Ferdinand and given a fourth charter, he was never to hold any title or power ever again. Those are the broad strokes. Thousands of historians over the centuries have picked apart the nitty-gritty, sometimes in contradiction to one another, but that is the size of it. Columbus miscalculated the size of the world, miscalculated where he landed, brutalized both the natives he stumbled upon and his own crew and countrymen, and finally died of some sort of wasting disease that may very well have been sexually acquired. He didn't prove the Earth was round, and he certainly didn't discover America. Gosh, there are so many ways in which he didn't discover America. For one thing, there were all those people he found everywhere that he managed to land. It kind of seems like maybe... Just maybe, if anyone did, then maybe they discovered America before him. And even if you narrow it down to say he was the first European to land in America, you'd still be wrong in at least three ways. Like, if by America you mean North America, well, Columbus never landed in North America at all. Never. And that's not meant technically. He didn't fucking set foot in North America during his whole ridiculous life. Meanwhile, at least two Viking crews did, Eric the Red and Leif Erikson, four and five hundred years before Columbus. And if that's somehow not good enough for you, the chances are that several other Western Europeans also made landfall on or along the American continents before Columbus. For hundreds of years before his voyage, tales of the island of Antalya, or the island of the seven cities, were circulated. 
And this phantom island was shown on dozens of Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese maps in the seven decades before Columbus set sail. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So the legend of Columbus is bullshit. Surprise, surprise. But from what bull did the shit usher? How did the nearly ubiquitous and demonstrably false narrative take hold? The answer is the Headless Horseman. Or rather, the Headless Horseman's author. In 1828, Washington Irving was the most esteemed American writer to ever pick up a pen, and the first ever to be taken seriously in Europe. So he was invited to travel to Madrid and translate a trove of documents about the Spanish conquest which had just been released. He found in these stacks the diaries and writings of Columbus and many other contemporary and near-contemporary accounts, which he was just meant to simply relay into English. But Irving was bored of that idea, so he instead used these resources to write not a regular history, but what would come to be known as a romantic history of Columbus. Irving's A History of the Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus is as fanciful as it is fallacious. Suffused with Irving's patriotism, it paints the heroic, legendary story that would come to be taken as common knowledge throughout not just the United States, but Spain and large swaths of South America too. All the hokum, about flatter skeptics and mutinous ignorant crewmen and discovering North America, it all came straight from the pages of Washington Irving, author of Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. The book was a big success in its time and inspired a whole genre of unreliable fictional histories to which Irving made several other contributions. What a cutie. But even that didn't fully cement the American myth of Columbus. Throughout the 19th century, what we now call Italy experienced extreme civil and political unrest. In the 1840s, it was composed of eight separate sovereign nations, the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, Tuscany, Sardinia, Lombardy, etc. 
the unification that took place between the 50s and 80s was less than wonderful for the people who lived in these nations. Where there wasn't war, there was oppression, poverty, famine. And that led more than 4 million Italians to immigrate to the U.S. between 1880 and 1925. But the WASP majority was extremely circumspect of these poor, beleaguered papists. Italian immigrants faced discrimination, ghettoization, and even violence. In an effort to prove their Americanness, some of these Italians latched on to Washington Irving's book, using it as propaganda. Not only were Italians true Americans, they said, an Italian discovered America. It was these Italian advocates who formed the Fraternal Order of the Knights of Columbus in New Haven, Connecticut in 1882, and their influence that turned Columbus into an American hero and the 12th of October into Columbus Day. So that's the sum of it. Columbus was a moronic buffoon who foolishly risked his life and the lives of his crew for a misbegotten Asian voyage, who refused to acknowledge his error, who became a reckless slaver and brutalizer before becoming a legend by way of a fabulous author and a concerted propaganda effort. Liberals, take a victory lap. And then meet me back here, because I've got some complicated things to tell you. To be honest, when I first started researching for this story, this is the result I expected. This was my endgame. And I was sorely tempted to leave things right there. After all, everything I've said so far is the truth, or a good part of the truth at least. And I've long been opposed to a stupid holiday based on a stupid idiot who never did much good for anyone, but did plenty bad. And I still mostly believe that but I do have to make a few caveats. The first and largest of these caveats is explained in two words. Black legend. Washington Irving's romantic portrayal of Columbus is the sort of thing that is often referred to as a golden legend, a hagiography that smooths over the negative and emphasizes the positive to the point of overflowing ridiculous greatness. Black legend, then, is the opposite of that. And while the term black legend was first used to describe cartoonishly evil depictions of Napoleon, it has caught particular currency with a different subject, Spain. The black legend of Spain, or Leyenda Negra, represents a long-term, broad-based, sustained bias in history against the Spanish. From the 16th century through the early 20th, there was a global habit of portraying the Spanish, both as a people, a nation, and individuals, as excessively cruel, evil, malevolent, and intolerant. Need an example? The English, who came to America, were seeking religious liberty or better opportunities. But the Spanish, who had the exact same poverty and repression from which they might have wanted to flee, well, they were just gold-obsessed opportunists. Everyone knows about the cruelty of the Spanish Inquisition. But not only was said Spanish Inquisition not nearly as evil as it is commonly portrayed, don't get me wrong, it was still quite evil, just not that evil, but there were equally as gross Inquisitions in France and Italy that never get the same infamy. In 1914, Julian Judarius brought this to light for historians around the world. 
And since then, most have agreed that accounts of Spanish actions need to be given an extra level of scrutiny, because they often fall prey to the black legend. You can see a lot of black legend in histories of the Spanish conquest. There can be no doubt that the Spanish were capable of great immorality and racism and violence against indigenous peoples throughout the Americas, but a lot of times the specific charges written about them are, well, racist themselves. And that is what we call intersectionality. How does this relate to Columbus? Well, like most black legend matters, it's difficult, if not impossible, to say. But there's good reason to believe that the barbarism of Columbus and other early Spanish explorers and settlers, while very real, I want to emphasize that, was also greatly exaggerated. Many contemporary criticisms of Columbus, for instance, charge him with the genocide of the Taino people of Hispaniola. There can be no question that Columbus's treatment of the Taino was monstrous. He definitely took a number of them captive back to Spain. He created a system that required them to pay him tributes of gold and cotton. And there are reputable reports that his men went bloodthirsty at one point. Although, it seems that this happened while Columbus was sick and not in charge. And when he set foot on Hispaniola, there were roughly a quarter million Taino. Within 60 years, there were 200. Still, it doesn't seem likely that Columbus or his men or any other Spanish invaders were responsible for the demise of the Taino. Not directly, at least. While Columbus wrote that he could rule them all with 40 men, that was as stupid and wrong-headed a statement as most everything that he said. In all probability, it was disease that killed the Taino. The Taino had never been exposed to smallpox, and therefore had no immunity to it when it came across the Atlantic, along with Columbus, on his second expedition. Again, for emphasis... None of this is to say that Columbus wasn't a bad guy. He was definitely a bad guy, even by the standards of his day. If you insist on judging people by the morals of their time, he was still seen as shitty and despotic and jailed accordingly. But when we pile on Columbus, we should be careful to make sure we're doing so accurately, or else we're likely to be played by the systemic bigotries of yesteryear. Nobody wants that. Aside from the black legend, there's one other thing to say in defense of Columbus. Don't get me wrong, I I don't think it makes sense to venerate him or celebrate a holiday for him, and I sure as shit think that if people want a day off of work, and who doesn't, it makes a million times more sense to take one in honor of the native and indigenous peoples of the New World who've made innumerable contributions to a society that has done little else in response but tried to snuff them out. But still, there is one more thing to say. Columbus didn't discover anything. I don't mean that he didn't discover anything. He didn't. We already talked about that. I mean Columbus didn't discover anything. To get my meaning, you have to think about the etymology of the word. To discover. Meaning not to find something new but to refind something lost. In medieval Europe, this was an active definition. We now use invent to mean creating a new thing, but the etymology of the word is to come upon. Think inventory. 
because Christians of the 15th century and before didn't believe that there were new things to find or create. Only old things, lost by the sin of man, to discover and invent. On top of all the other ironies inherent in the myth of Columbus is that he has become synonymous with discovery, when in fact, Columbus was the death rattle of discovery. In 1492, Europeans believed that everything in the universe, every creature, every people, every idea, every piece of knowledge and science and philosophy, it all already existed in two places, the Bible and the works of Aristotle. All there was to do was to dig back through those books to figure out what they'd missed and neglected. Then, in 1493, Columbus returned to Isabella's court. With him, he brought tales of lands unknown by Aristotle. He brought parrots and llamas and turkeys, animals that weren't known to have been on Noah's Ark. The Yahwehist, the Psalmist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and Aristotle, none of them had ever heard of corn, or tobacco, or chocolate, or tomatoes. Aristotle had said that human life could not exist around the equator because it would be too hot. Well, tell that to the Taino. In 1517, 25 years after Columbus's first voyage, Martin Luther nailed his theses to the church door, kickstarting the Protestant Reformation. Less than 20 years after that, Petrus Ramus delivered his infamous speech, everything Aristotle said is wrong. Shortly after that came Copernicus, and then Tycho Brahe, Galileo, Francis Bacon, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment. It all hinged on breaking the notion of discovery. And for every other awful thing and open question around Columbus, there is that one integral fact of his legacy. He didn't discover anything. We'll be back next week. Until then, please find the link to uh, the Kickstarter in the description of this episode or the show notes. And give it a look. If nothing else, I've made a little video that might be kind of fun to watch. Until next time, from the home of the 1893 Columbian Exposition, Chicago, Illinois. This has been The Constant. <laughs>